Before we get started with today's show, I want to tell you guys about betonline.ag. All eyes are on the gridiron as teams are back for another football season. And as always, BetOnline is your number one spot for all the pro and college action this season. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Use promo code BLEAV, B-L-E-A-V, to receive your bonus today. From football, basketball, boxing, right to your favorite Vegas casino games, don't wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers on the 2021 season. Bet online, where the game starts. All right, everybody. However and whenever it is you may be listening, thank you for stopping into another fantabulous episode of Wired Up. This is Wired Up episode 88 here on the Take It Easy podcast. Welcome in everybody. Had to throw it back to the old school music here on the pod. Uh, Shout out to our boy Martez over at Open Talk Radio 313 The Flash for making that beat for us. It is one of my all-time favorites. So thank you and uh, welcome into this episode of Wired Up on this Sunday before week five of the NFL. We'll get to uh, some picks later on in the podcast from myself and Walter and our boy Cam from DSD uh, as we fill out our pick'em pools for week four in the NFL. And... For today's Wired Up episode, there there are things that we could be talking about, like Oregon losing to Stanford, which is absolutely fantastic and just total Pac-12 moment, or Georgia and Alabama dominating in college football, or some storyline from the NFL weekend, or Urban Meyer getting busted at a bar, and I do really want to talk about Urban Meyer getting busted at an Ohio State bar, figuratively and possibly literally in this case. Um, If you don't know what that is, I would look up Urban Meyer on Twitter right now. But I do want to spend the day today, at least the, the A block before we get to the silly NFL stuff, talking about the real biggest story of the weekend, which is what is going on in the National Women's Soccer League. The NWSL is, I guess at this point, the largest professional women's league in the world, considering that America was a little bit ahead of the curve on the rest of the world in terms of, you know, Title IX and women's sports coming into effect. And this story this weekend, there are few rivals to the fallout from this story in the past 25 years in sports. The examples that I think of are are the bribery and corruption scandals at FIFA or Paul Tagliabu resigning. I'm I'm putting resigning in air quotes because he didn't technically resign. He retired, but did resign over the concussion settlement stuff back in 2006. And within a span of three days in the National Women's Soccer League, you have the commissioner, Lisa Baird, resigning, as well as general counsel, Lisa Levine, who's, you know, basically the second in command of the sport, both resign 
in scandal and disgrace. Um, the sport ends up suspending all their games from the weekend. They end up postponing their Hall of Fame ceremony. And you have protests outside of the stadiums across America because of the sport turning a blind eye, as in essence, to sexual harassment and sexual misconduct going on within the sport. And we'll get to all the details and the fantastic reporting being done by The Athletic, and, and we'll talk about the fallout later. But considering that, one, we don't have someone with a female perspective to talk about it this you know with this quick of a turnaround for the podcast, and the fact that this story is layered and complex... And I don't want to risk, you know, doing a lot of the mansplaining. I'm going to basically just be presenting the facts and what's going on here, similarly to how we discussed the LSU story going on throughout the past year. I think we did about five or six podcasts around that and because it's so important to discuss. And similarly to what we've done with Deshaun Watson and Trevor Bauer, where a long-form conversation is important and laying out the details because not enough people know about what is going on in this story with the National Women's Soccer League. With all of that to preface what I'm about to say, I do have to, you know, kind of, I, I, I want to let the anger and frustration out around this story before we get to the details, but the thing I want to say first is that in a league where women in charge and in positions of legitimate power still find a way to turn a blind eye to the health and safety of the women in the sport, is is dumbfounding like we'll get to the details again in a second it's dumbfounding the way that this goes even in a sport where women hold the power that the money still finds a way to get involved in this story and just the fear of of the unknown and fear of what has already been done and not wanting to confront issues and just a general lack of leadership in positions of power around these sports we see it happened even in a sport where women find themselves at the top of the sport. And once again, it becomes a tragedy where the people who end up having to be the front people on this and the front the, the people being the net support are, again, the players. And this is a burden that should not have been carried by the players. This is not a burden that they should have to feel like they're being isolated by their leagues and many of the organizations. This is an abomination and it's angry and it makes me angry and makes me frustrated. But again, this is from an ally perspective. I will never understand the the complex layers around all of this. And from an ally perspective, it's amazing. It's, it's damning and amazing that we still see a lack of leadership, even from women in positions of power. And, and it's really unfortunate enough of my soapboxing real quick here. So let's get into the story. On a July night in 2014, in the waning minutes of an NWSL regular season match between the Portland Thorns FC and Chicago Red Stars, Shanae Farley collapsed on the field at the Benedictine University Sports Complex. She had stepped up to defend an opposing player only a moment before, but was nowhere near the ball when she fell. The commentator for the game noted she had done plenty of running, but there was no clear explanation for why she had gone down. After a few moments... She was able to walk off the field under her own power with Thorne's athletic trainer beside her. She was not limping. She was not examined for a head injury. There was nothing that might have hinted at why she collapsed. Farley was a regular starter for Portland. She was 24 years old, firmly in the prime of her career, a box-to-box midfielder who had maintained a place at the highest level of women's soccer. 
even as one professional league folded and another was formed. She had twice been invited to U.S. national team camps. She arrived in Portland at the start of the 2014 season, the third team she had played for coached by Paul Riley. He selected her with the Philadelphia Independence's second overall pick in the 2011 Women's Professional Soccer College Draft. Then in 2012, when WPS folded and Riley moved to coach a semi-pro team on Long Island, Farley joined him there. Then they reunited in Portland. Quote, He really ingrained in my brain that I had a lot of potential, was one of the best players he'd ever seen, but I needed the right coach to get me to where I wanted to go, Farley said. And that's what he did. He took players and made them great. In Philadelphia, during her rookie season, Riley gave her special attention and gradually lowered the boundaries between player and coach. When he took the team out drinking, he'd sit next to her at the bar. He'd hand her cash to buy shots. He'd tell her she was beautiful, that the guys who tried to buy her drinks weren't good enough for her. On those nights, he asked her probing personal questions, and he really seemed to care. She shared information about her past relationships, how she got along with her parents, and her, his responses shored up her confidence, quote, making me feel like I was really rare and special, she said. But Riley could also be surprisingly harsh. While he raved about Farley's performances to the team and media, during training he would send her off with the substitutes, telling her he still was unsure about her abilities. He'd then start her the next game and repeat the cycle again. It made Farley long for his approval. She felt like she was, quote, his player, even if she had to prove herself over and over. Early during his first season in Philadelphia, sorry, early during her first season in Philadelphia, Farley accepted a call-up to the U.S. women's national team. Riley told her when she returned to the Independence that she had been disloyal to her actual team and to him. She deserved to be on the national team, Riley said, but only if he was coaching it. A couple of weeks later, when the U.S. team's coaching staff called again, she turned them down and gave up the final spot on the 2011 World Cup roster. At the end of that season, after the Independents lost the WPS championship and following hours out drinking and commiserating over the loss as a team, Farley said she felt that Riley, who at the time was 47 years old and married, coerced her into his hotel room and they had sex. After WPS folded in 2012, most of the independents, including Farley, went to play for Riley on a Long Island semi-pro team, where the alleged sexual coercion continued, Farley said. She had sex with him and a teammate on one occasion, she said, also following a night of excessive drinking. After each encounter, she tried to pretend it had never happened and repeated Riley's mantra, told to her after the first night of sex that they would be, quote, taking this to their graves. After that season, Farley joined FC Kansas City in their newly formed National Women's Soccer League, but Riley haunted her mentality and, mentally and emotionally. When he became the coach of the Portland Thorns in December of 2013, Farley knew he would trade for her. She could feel it coming. That July night in 2014, on the field at Benedictine University, the weight of it all came crashing down. She wouldn't play another minute for the rest of the season, even as Portland made the playoffs. She got checked out by the doctors. She underwent a brain scan. Quote, they told me I had migraines, and nothing was medically wrong, Farley said. I realized now I was not okay. I couldn't function under him. 
I couldn't function to play soccer anymore. For most of the last two decades, one of women's soccer's governing, governing mores has been a willingness to stay silent. As the sport tried, failed, and tried again to gain traction in the United States, any controversy was viewed as a threat to the sport's existence, with the potential to shut down a team or even an entire league. Women in the sport felt disempowered, understanding that they were, were to keep quiet about disrespectful coaches and mistreatment by front office staff, about poor pay and substandard facilities. Speaking about some personal relationships was also discouraged, and it was more than just hiding the truth. It was putting on a happy face while doing it. The NWSL, the third professional women's league to surface in the U.S., is now in its ninth year, but the players feel far from secure. About 75% of them earn under $31,000 a year, which is more than 15000 below the median income for women in the United States. The vast majority feel like underpaid, replaceable cogs, one missed tackle or one misstep off the field from a career dashed. Quote, There definitely has been this shared idea that because two leagues have folded in the past, the NWSL is kind of the last hope for women's soccer, U.S. national team forward Alex Morgan said. Because of that, I feel like there's this idea that we should be grateful for what we have and we shouldn't raise important questions or ask questions at all. But over the past 14 months, more and more players and team employees have breached the code of silence, asking questions and speaking out against alleged wrongdoers. Last year, Delloy Hansen was pressured into selling Utah Royals FC after reports of racist comments and a sexist culture in the club's front office. Utah also placed head coach Craig Harrington on administrative leave, sources told The Athletic that Harrington made comments of a sexual nature to staff, which he is disputed. In August, an assistant coach for the Washington Spirit left the club following inappropriate comments made to players at a party. Spirit head coach Richie Burke was placed on leave pending an investigation into allegations of verbal and emotional abuse of players. On Tuesday, the NWSL announced that he was terminated for cause. In July, Gotham FC dismissed general manager Alice LeHue following the results of an investigation related to the league's new anti-harassment policy. She has denied any wrongdoing. There was not one trigger. It was an incident after incident building upon themselves revealing the scope of the sport's problems and leading the players to understand that the only way to bring about great change was to refuse to be silent. Quote, What we are seeing this season is the beginning of a reckoning, NWSL Players Association director Megan Burke told The Athletic last month. The Athletic spoke to more than a dozen players representing every team Riley has coached since 2012, plus an additional 10 sources throughout the women's game. The majority asked to remain anonymous because of fear of repercussions given Riley's influence in the sport. In addition to his alleged sexual coercion of Farley, Riley led Farley and Portland Thorns teammate Mana Shim back to his apartment after a night of drinking in 2015 and pressured them to kiss each other as he watched, according to Farley and Shim. Riley told t them the team would avoid a grueling conditioning session if they granted his request. He also sent an unsolicited, lurid picture of himself to both women, Farley and Shim said, and he once invited Shim to a, quote, film session in his hotel room and then greeted her there wearing nothing but his underwear. 
Farley, Shim, and several other Thorn players from 2014 to 2015 said Riley also made inappropriate remarks about their weight and sexual orientation. Members of the Independents, Fury, and Thorns told The Athletic about several evenings where Riley drank heavily with his players. In 2015 and 16, he held week-long retreats at his 10,992-square-foot home on Long Island. Players swam in his pool and drank alcohol he provided. Many women said these were not voluntary gatherings. Whether they or their teammates tried to go somewhere else during the week, Riley told them they were not allowed to leave. Quote, he really commands the kind of social culture he wants on the team, one player who played for him in Portland said. He has the authority. People don't really push him on it. Everyone accepts that that's just how he is. You're trying to survive in his hierarchy. Riley responded to a list of 23 questions about his alleged conduct with an email in which he stated the majority of the allegations are, quote, completely untrue. He wrote, I have never had sex with or made sexual advances towards these players. He said he sometimes socializes with players or occasionally picks up bar tabs, but I do not take them out drinking. He conceded that over the course of his career, there's a chance I've said something along the way that offended someone, but he added, quote, I do not belittle my players, comment on their weight, or discuss their personal relationships. The North Carolina Courage said in a statement Wednesday, When we hired Paul, we made perfectly clear the expectations of the job and the values of the club, and from what we know, he has lived up to the expectations. If there are any players or staff that wish to come forward in accordance with NWSL policy, we encourage them to report any inappropriate behavior as we will continue to uphold the standard of maintaining a safe and positive environment for all in the club. On Thursday, the Courage fired Riley, the club said in a statement. In light of today's reports, the North Carolina Courage have terminated head coach Paul Riley, effective immediately following very serious allegations of misconduct. Sean Nahas was named interim coach. Additionally, U.S. Soccer announced that it is suspending Riley's coaching license. On September 16th, 11 days after the end of the 2015 season, Shim filed a complaint with the Portland Thorns front office concerning Riley's behavior. Shim also disclosed his behavior to Morgan, who confirmed the exchange to The Athletic. The Thorns investigated and, on September 23rd, announced Riley's contract would not be renewed. On Wednesday, Thorns owner Merritt Paulson said the 2015 probe found violations of team policy, which factored into the decision to let Riley go. Paulson added, quote, everything was shared with the league. After the NWSL adopted a new anti-harassment policy earlier this year, Farley and Shim contacted the league and asked for a new investigation into Riley's behavior. Former league commissioner Lisa Baird thanked them for raising their concerns, but informed both players the 2015 complaint was, quote, investigated to conclusion and that she could not share any details. This week, when informed of The Athletic's reporting on Riley, including the allegations made by Farley that were not part of the 2015 Thorns probe, Baird chose not to respond. An NWSL spokesperson said in a statement, The league was contacted earlier this year regarding an investigation completed in 2015. Absent new or additional information, the matter was closed. That said, the behavior described by former players has no place in our league and will not be tolerated. Baird and others within the league have come under criticism recently as teams have pushed out coaches and other employees without explicitly stating or uh, obfuscating the reason. 
For example, the Spirit initially announced Richie Burke would resign from his position for health reasons and move into a front office role. One day later, a Washington Post story led the team to change its explanation and announce an investigation into misconduct. Quote, I'm so bleeping tired of this BS. Thor- Portland Thorn Megan Klingenberg wrote on Twitter in wake of the Spirit's handling of Burke. As a veteran player, I demand that the National Women's Soccer League, the owners and GMs keep players safe on the field, in the locker room, and on the road. It's not okay to just let an organizational member resign and sweep things under the rug. What happens to the next set of players that play under that coach? About 40 miles outside of Philadelphia, in the borough of Downington, there is an extended extend-a-stay hotel along Route 30 amidst big suburban shopping centers and across from the Wegmans supermarket. This is where, in 2010 and 2011, the Philadelphia Independence housed some of its players, along with Paul Riley. It was close quarters with the feel of a college dormitory. The environment led to lowered boundaries. One player said she saw teammates, quote, crying outside Riley's door at night. Two players said that after another Independence player suffered serious injury, Riley had the injured player sleep in his room with him. He would also regularly go out drinking with the team at an Irish pub, Kling Kildares, in nearby Westchester. This was not just a casual drink or two, but long nights of excessive consumption, with Riley frequently picking up the tab. Quote, Paul would be there buying everybody drinks. Farley lived at her parents' house that season. It meant a slight bump in her salary since the team didn't have to pay that cost. While she wasn't in the environment of the extend-to-stay hotel, she was regularly at Kildare's. Despite the size of the place and the presence of a dance floor, most nights she said she ended up seated next to Riley at the bar, where he would ask her probing questions. There's this sense that he wants to control your life outside the stadium as well, whether that's what you're eating or who you're seeing, one player said. Eventually, Farley began to share deeply personal information with Riley. He gave her a nickname, Shea, in in addition to making her believe he genuinely cared for her. Quote, he would make comments about people's relationship status and their sexual orientation. Everything to him mattered, that it would affect the performance of the game depending on what you did outside of practice, Farley said. He wanted to know everything, and it felt normal to share that stuff. In May of that season, at a game in Atlanta, Riley pulled Farley from a match and at halftime, a humiliation she didn't understand. She would find out after the game that in the stands that day was an assistant coach for the U.S. women's national team, who had flown to Atlanta to bring Farley into a national team camp on short notice to replace an injured player. There were expectations that, despite little pro experience, her call-up signified a real chance of sneaking on the 2011 World Cup roster. There were only two camps remaining until the team left for Germany, and the rest of the roster had been named. When Farley got back from that national team camp a few days later, she met with Riley in his office. He was upset the Federation had called her without involving him. Ten players across Riley's coaching tenure described how he would, quote, bash and shit-talk the national team as he had frequently spoken about his frustration with their schedule and how it affects club play. Farley didn't miss an independence match because of the call-up, but she said Riley told her that she had been disloyal to him and her independence teammates. 
U.S. soccer called her in to the final camp before the World Cup, set for June, but Farley surprisingly declined, saying she wanted to remain in Philadelphia. The next training session, quote, I could tell he was proud of my decision. By the end of the WPS season, Farley had 14 appearances with the club, starting 13 matches. The Independents finished second in the regular season standings, then defeating Magic Jack 2-0 in the semifinal of the playoffs. A major upset, considering the national team players on the Florida team, who was enduring an owner who had instructed players to refer to him as, quote, Daddy. In the final on August 27th in Rochester, a stacked Western New York Flash team defeated an underdog Independence via penalties. It was a heartbreaking loss, and after the game, Philadelphia players and staff went out as a group to drown their sorrows. Multiple players recalled someone from the Independence front office running out a bar. Free alcohol, no boundaries, one player said. Players then decided to travel back to their hotel en masse to keep the party going. Players remember cramming as many people as they could into rented passenger van, to the point where people started sitting on others' laps. Farley climbed in, headed for the back of the van, where she said Riley was sitting. This is the thing. He's with us, right? He's part of this with us, she said. She said she sat on his lap, through even though even in that moment it felt weird to do so. She said Riley then grabbed her hips and she immediately felt the touch cross a line. Quote, I felt claimed. That word honestly describes it perfectly for me, because I have these, this feeling that he went around and he looked at his prospects and he zeroed in on me. He claimed me. That's what his touch felt like. I just remember thinking, is anyone else seeing this? Given her age and where she was in her career, from that moment on, quote, I felt under his control. The party moved to the hotel lobby. The numbers kept dropping as people finally called it a night, heading back in ones and twos to their respective rooms in the team's hotel block, all on the same floor. Farley and Riley ended up in the front of his room, she said, and they both went in. Farley said she felt Riley coerced her into having sex with him, and she spent the night in his room. The next morning when she woke up, she said he told her that she had followed him into his room and, Shay, we're taking this to our graves. That moment changed my life forever, Farley said. As a person and a player, I was never the same. She tried to pretend like it hadn't happened and swore she would never speak about it again. But she said that Riley kept bringing it up with her. He didn't help her bury the secret. He kept it alive. This story has about you know, 20 to 30 more minutes going on here. And I highly recommend that you check it out. There's lots of great reporting that comes up later on in the story. We just, time constraints will keep us from getting that far. I I highly recommend that you check out the article. There's a link to it in the description to today's episode. Uh, If you subscribe to The Athletic, you'll get it for free. If not, there's also a shorthand version that sums up a lot of the stuff that we brought up here today, and and it's really important that you guys check it out, and I hope that we brought this to light a little bit more, because there's going to be more fallout from this coming up in the next week, but it really is the story of the weekend across sports. I mean, there's very, like I said off the top, there's very little precedent for what it is that we're seeing in the NWSL. (laughs) 
So we are here to close out Wired Up as we do at least every week for the last four weeks, which is our NFL Picks of the Week. I've got my five locked in. Uh, Blake Jude already had his five locked in from Thursday's podcast, which was recorded on Wednesday, and you may have listened to on Friday, Saturday, or Sunday, or maybe at a later date. Who knows? Check that out as well with the full Take It Easy library. And we've got Walter's picks, and we've got Cam's picks coming up here, but first, let me give you my five real quick this week, which is technically four because I already picked the Bengals and took an L on that one, unfortunately, so... I already find myself sitting at 0-1 for the week, which means we need a little, little bit of a rebound here. I'm sitting at 500 at this point, so I would really like a rebound coming up. And one of the ways that I'm going to roll right now is with the Pittsburgh Steelers. I am going to doon-doon lock in Pittsburgh at 6.5 underdogs against the Packers. Now, they are going to be without Chase Claypool in this game, but... I do think that Vegas, I'm going to bet with the house on this one. Vegas has money line 80% of the money coming in on Green Bay at this point, which means Sharps rolling with the Packers a little bit, and Vegas is willing to roll with Green Bay as well. So, uh, I'm sorry, the, P- Vegas is willing to roll with the Steelers as being a little backdoor cover underdog type team against the Packers. Next up, I also in that afternoon block have the 49ers minus two and a half against the Seattle Seahawks. I will doon doon lock that one in for myself. Uh, I'm going to take the advice of our buddy Razor Rosenthal and take Kansas City this week. Even though 97% of the bets of Moneyline are on Kansas City, I'm rolling with the Chiefs. Wind, rain at Lincoln Financial Field. So be prepared for that if you are a Kansas City Chiefs fan. And uh, for the second week in a row here, actually, you know what? I'm going to go with a different game here at the very end. I'm going to get cute with this thing, and I am going to take the New England Patriots plus seven against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Do I think they're going to win? No. Do I think they're going to cover? Absolutely. And that's the bet that I'm making here today on Wired Up. So those are the locks for the week. We've got uh, the 49ers. We already lost on the Bengals, but still. Uh, So we got the 49ers, we got the Steelers, we got the Patriots, and we have the Kansas City Chiefs this week here on the pick'em pool, trying to stay above 500 a little bit. So, here are our picks. First from our buddy Walter Mitchell over at SB Nation and the Red Rain podcast that I help produce. You can check that out with our link tree available on our socials and Cam from DSD. So, first Walter, then we'll get to Cam's picks and analysis for week five. Well, first up, we have... The Colts traveling to Miami to face Jacoby Brissett's Dolphins. The Dolphins are two-point favorites. Dolphins. All right. He is feeling conviction towards Miami on that one. So he's got the Dolphins there. Uh, We have Chiefs and Eagles. Chiefs are seven-point favorites at Philadelphia. Chiefs. All right. Uh, we have Lions and Bears. Bears are three-point favorites at home. Lions and Tigers and Bears. Oh, my. 
Uh, <laughs> God, I love the. Did I tell you the Lions would be better than you than we thought? You did say did. the Lions would be better than we thought, and they well, have uh, been so far. They're playing their tails off. Yeah, I'm I, pick Lions in that game. All right, buyer beware on the Lions at this point. I was a little cruel to make you pick the Lions. That's our that's our unofficial rule here. You can always turn down a game, but if you turn it down, you have to pick a Lions or Falcons game. So you can always turn down a pick outside of that. So mm-hmm. uh, Steelers are at the Packers. Packers are six and a half point favorites at home. Packers. All right, rolling on the Aaron Rodgers train this week against yep. the maybe TJ Wattless Steelers. That's and the then, key I thought of was without Watt, I think Packers will prevail. Packers beat the, will beat the spread. Yep. Yep, going up a time up against the the two NFC West games this week. So that's also in the one o'clock window. Well, four o'clock window on the East Coast. Yeah. One o'clock where I am, and then. Finally, Monday night, the Raiders travel to Los Angeles to take on the Chargers. Chargers are three-point favorites at home. Chargers. I'm going with Slam Diego, baby. Sort of. We're, we're I'm, not... dedicating, I'm dedicating <laughs> that game to you, Little Rock. Uh, that means the Raiders are going to win by 17, if anything. <laughs> If, the, if things go the way the Chargers have gone my entire lifetime, that's going to be a 17. Well, actually, no, because this is a joke that I made that went viral on Instagram a little bit. It got reposted by the NFL hate memes account. Shout out to him was that the Chargers have played in one possession games in the fourth quarter 380 consecutive times going back to 1992. The Chargers are always one possession fourth quarter. Sometimes they win, mostly they lose, but it's always going to be a one-possession game for the Chargers. Wow. Oh, I, I would say that's – that, no, it's not true at all, but it feels like the Chargers have played in 380 <laughs> consecutive one-possession games. It's just That's just how the Chargers work, pretty much. The Chargers. Yes. Yep. Chris Berman's Chargers. It's – See, I think now. Brandon Staley is, you know, is good. I knew he would start to have an impact on that defense. And no, you you were huge on Brandon Staley, and and I was I was kind of like throwing water on the fire, being like, well, I I don't know anything about him. I didn't know he was a person until like six weeks ago. But you were yeah. you were absolutely right. That offense has looked totally different. Mike Williams is now a huge part of the offense, which. For a wide receiver in year five to break out the way he's breaking out is almost unheard of. It's like Devontae right. Parker is the only one I can think of. Sure. Yep. Yeah. It's yeah, been so, a great uh, ride there. Exciting stuff, man. So Walter's got two NFC North teams and two AFC West teams this week, and then he's rolling with the Miami Dolphins, the greatest football team who runs the ball <laughs> from goal to goal like no one's ever seen. <laughs> that old 19 I love the 1970s Dolphins song and also the T-Pain remix that was made 13 years later and the Dolphins haven't won a playoff game since but they uh they definitely I love that little you could you could say the Jaguars and Jets are probably the two worst teams right now in the NFL 
probably. Yeah, and then the Giants are they're right there. They may not be the third worst. The Bears might be the third worst, but they're right there. Yeah. So yeah, that's it. I mean, I don't really have much more that. to say you, besides the you fact found that I think, my joke. Think about that. That's kind of crazy. You're actually the one that got me thinking about. It. I did not know that was you. I'm very proud of you. Yeah, those those happen every now and then. Like that one, the Herbert one. I made a joke back when all those quarterbacks were getting hurt a couple years ago that Tom Brady snapped his fingers and made half the quarterbacks disappear because like Rudolph and Big Ben and Darnold, all everyone. Oh wait, was, was hurt. that the? Uh, it was supposed to be like the Thanos. Yeah, it's or Thanos, Brady that looks um, like Thanos. Joke. Yeah, that got reposted by everyone. It happens every now and then. Every every couple months or so, one of those goes viral like that. Um love it yeah love it it happens so for my final thoughts here and you can check out take it easy pod we got video with the slump buster we got a pro football focus guy coming on so i did that interview you can check that out that's cool um the red rain pod i produced that so if you like the cardinals you can check that out there's a link in the description you can check all that out we got some picks we got our weekly pick'em pool oh, nice. for our boy Cam here, who coming off of a three one and one, or I'm sorry, a three and two week is now ten four and one in our pick'em pool. He is in first place don't, by a lot. Don't mess with me. Don't mess with me. Good lord, Cam is working us right now. He's like two and a half games in first place. I'm eight and eight. That's the next closest. Um, I had the Bengals yesterday. They did not cover and. Cam is working us right now. So, uh, and and I had some really close ones that like could have went the other way. I've been I've been freaking cooking. Yeah, you have and like ten four and one and two of your losses of the Falcons, which is where we begin today with Washington <laughs> taking on the Falcons this weekend. Washington is a one point favorite at Atlanta. Uh, I'll take Washington. Oh, you finally bailed on the Falcons. <sighs> See, I, I I just yeah the Falcons got me one of the wins I think too yeah no the Falcons got you the dub last week because I've made you bet the Falcons every week so far because you're like yeah you should just keep doing that just keep doing that just keep doing it I'll I'll take I'll take whoever the Falcons and I'll I'll make decisions because last week was too juicy and the Buccaneers one was too juicy and they probably should have covered if Matt Ryan's not a pumpkin throws. 17 pick sixes so so for people who who maybe don't know how we work this one of the jokes we have is that you can you can opt out of any game offered here but the alternative is you have to bet lions or falcons because (laughs) nobody should ever bet a lions or falcons game if you put money down on the lions or falcons it's like that joke from family guy where he's like walks to a sports book he's like i'd like to put down a hundred dollars would you like to pick a team nah just take it It's pretty much that with <laughs> picking bears or lions or falcons. But Cam just really wants to pick the Falcons games. And he, last week, he's like, I'm tripling down. I'm 0-2, but I'm tripling down on the Falcons. So now that he won, he's got a quadruple down. But now he picked against the Falcons, which... And then they're going to do it to me. Yeah, yeah, of course. That's how, is how these things work. Is they're they're going to do you dirty now and find a way to win. So... Sorry, not yep. sorry. You just you got to live with the consequences of, of your decisions there. So uh, <laughs> next up, we have the Titans taking on the New York Jets. Titans are six and a half point favorites at New York. Um, I mean, I would say Titans, Titans just because. But uh, uh. Yeah, I'm going to take the Titans. Yeah, it's hard It's hard to bet those ones where they're like larger spreads yeah. and you know the team is booty. It's tough. Yeah. 
All right. Next up, we have Cardinals Rams. The Rams are four point favorites in the game of the week versus Arizona. Wow, that's a good game. It's the game of the week. Two undefeated teams. Except it's not even on TV. Rams. All right. You're rolling with Stafford and company. I like it. Because I, I think the Rams probably are better, but the Cardinals are 3-0. and So, you know. Yeah, the Cardinals have been the Cardinals have been really good, though. Like, really impressive. Yeah. Besides, besides that Jaguars game. But they came back, so. Yeah, they're doing all right there. So, uh, we got Giants and Saints. Saints touchdown favorite at home. Well, I don't know if it's in New Orleans, but they're technically the home team. Yo, it is in New Orleans. Uh, Giants. Yeah, it is in New Orleans. Giants. Giants plus seven. He likes it. All right. This feels like a trap game for them. For the Giants? Or, I'm sorry, for the Saints? For, 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 for the Saints. That just feels like one. I mean, are the Saints actually good? Like, trap games are usually with uh, good teams. I don't know if the Saints are good. Well, I'm just looking from a perspective that they just beat the Patriots. I feel like they didn't think they were going to win that game as as easy. They should have won by way more. I feel like Jameis, yeah. I actually would almost bet the Giants even there, but I'm going to take this. I'm taking with the spread. Well, let's see. Vegas, I think Vegas is agreeing with you because most of the money is on the Saints on the money line. So Vegas, you're betting with the house, which is usually a good idea because the house always wins. Yep. yep. Finally, we have Bucks Patriots Sunday night. Brady Belichick, the return. What's the line? Uh, it's seven for the Bucks and. To give you a heads up now, in case you don't want to pick your Patriots game, the Bears are three-point favorites against the Lions. So either of those work. That's your alternative is you have to pick the Lions. So Bucks are seven. Uh, Bucks are seven-point favorites at New England. Uh, man, seven. Oh, my God. What a brutal line. So, um... I if it was literally six and a half for the for the box, I'm going I'm going box. If it was seven and a half for the box, I'm going Patriots. I just like uh I'll go I'll go Bucks. Oh, okay. You're picking Brady. You think you're picking Brady on this one. That's uh it's a little unfortunate. Yeah, I I just I just think it's gonna be a lot closer than people think it is, but I could see like it'd be a really close game and then the Patriots like you know, do some dumb or or you know Brady just does Brady stuff and then just beats him by like ten or something. Oh no, nah, I just straight end. up pick the Patriots. I'm like eh, bleep it. I'm just straight up. I'm, I'm getting cute with it. I just straight up pick the Patriots. I'm like, wow. <laughs> I'm bet I'm betting against that man Tom Brady again for some reason. <laughs> yeah, no, it does usually it usually does not work out well when you bet against Tom Brady. No. It just does. not. But at least now I can laugh at it and it doesn't make me miserable. <laughs> Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, enjoy football this weekend, everybody. It's gonna be fun. Yes. Bye. See ya.